Amen. Listen to the words of the gospel for this evening. It's our sermon text. It's just a few verses from Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's word. Holy Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your Spirit is saying to us. Help us, Father, to see and apply these words to our lives, to our hearts, to our minds, so that it would result in glory to your name and service and love to our neighbor, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Well, in case you haven't been with us the last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at the kingdom parables of uh, Jesus, noting as we've gone through that the stories each deal with a different question one has about uh, God's kingdom. So the first week with the uh, parable of the sower, we dealt with the question of how people hear about the kingdom. Uh, next, in the parable of the weeds, we dealt with the problem of evil in the kingdom. So in other words, the, the question was why, if you reign God, does evil still go on in the world? Uh, and then last week, we dealt with the apparent hiddenness of the kingdom. The, it seems that the kingdom might be more insignificant than we imagine it to be. And why is that the case? Why does it seem small? And the question that's up for grabs for us tonight in the parable I just read, the very short parables I just read, is, um, well, how much is the kingdom worth? What's the value of the kingdom? And, uh, <clears throat> and yet, before I get into that, I want, before I start preaching at you, I just, I want you to contemplate and ask yourself a question so that you can, um, well, you can sort of put yourself in the mind frame to hear what we're going to talk about tonight. And that is, if you can think of one or two things, what is it that you treasure the most in life? It can be a person, place, or thing. It can be a noun. Right? Yes. Uh, what do you treasure most in life? For some of you, maybe it's simple things. Uh, Johnny Cash, for example, was asked once by an interviewer, uh, what would you define as paradise? And he was sitting across from his wife, June, and he said, sitting with her in the morning, drinking coffee. I mean, what a smoothie. That's about as romantic as it gets. Uh, in the year and a half uh, before we started having worship services here, as I said at the beginning, I would go out and meet people, and I had three questions that I was always trying to ask them. And the questions were, after introductions, I wouldn't just go up cold call, you know, but I would introduce myself. And then I would eventually ask them three questions, and the three questions were, what do you, where do you find hope in? Uh, what gives you a sense of despair? And then finally, what, what do you think of humanity? Is it good, bad, in the middle somewhere? Uh, the, the answers I would get to these questions were fascinating. Almost everybody I talked to, just complete strangers, would answer them. They'd give me their perspective on these things. Uh, the answers that I got to what gave people hope were always, I think, the most interesting ones because you really got to see what they ultimately valued in, the, in their life, what they invested in. And so you hear family a lot. Family gives me hope. 
Uh, you would hear my career gives me hope, especially here in the city. People move here, I mean, to kind of follow and worship that idol of career or calling. Uh, to make money, money was a huge thing I would hear all the time. Money is my hope. The more money, the less problems, contrary to the uh, famous hip-hop song. And then uh, one guy I met just had the straight-up audacity to say to me, he's like, well, you know, when I really think about it, I give me hope. And I said, really? You give yourself hope? And he says, yeah, because I'm, I can do anything I want to do. Like, all right, well, you know, you go with that. Um, Deal with that. I mean, but like there was just this this strong sort of uh, everybody has something they're investing. Everybody has something that they believe is their treasure. And in our text tonight, Jesus says that ultimately um, the greatest treasure, the greatest possession, is the kingdom. Is his kingdom. So so to illustrate this, he uses the picture of the treasure hunter and the merchant after uh, the pearl. And so in, and in doing so, he kind of tells us how valuable this treasure, this kingdom, is. Uh, and the first thing that we see from the text is it's so valuable, it's so worth it, this kingdom, that people seek and strive and work to get it. That's pretty clear from the text. The picture given in the parable is of a man searching and striving to find something. Uh, in the first parable, you have the treasure hunter, and the next you have the merchant, and, uh, and the merchant is, is on the prowl. The word used to describe his search is striving or, or working hard. The other day, uh, one, of, one of, for whatever reason, somebody on Facebook that I apparently know shared a video of a horse giving birth. It just came up in my feed. I was like, there's a horse giving birth. I don't know if you've ever seen a horse giving birth, but it is a, it, I, I, I was sort of taken aback by the whole process. There's a beauty to it, of course, but there's also a very, I mean, you're, what I, what, the first thing I thought was, this looks so painful. Because a horse, I, I, I mean, they're not tiny. The pony that comes out is not little. And the, the, the horse as she is giving birth is just wiggling back and forth and she's trying to push and push and push and push and there's so much agony and pain to try and finally get what this mother will treasure, her baby. And the picture that's given in scripture of the kind of struggle that is had to accommodate or to get the treasure is something akin to that. Enter through the narrow way, Jesus says. To work, 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 work. Now, perhaps, perhaps when I asked you earlier what your treasure was, uh, you didn't immediately think of anything. And that's okay. I, I usually, if somebody asks me to think of something on the spot, that's the one time I can't think of it. So if that's you, I get it. Um, but here's a way to find out what your treasure might be. What do you strive after the most? What do you work the hardest for? What do you give your time and your talent and your treasures for the most? What do you think about when you don't have to think about anything? Where's your mind go? That'll give you an insight into what you really treasure. 
might find is that what you're prone to saying you do treasure might not be the actual thing that you treasure. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, uh, seek first the kingdom of God above all other things. Luke 13, 24, strive after the kingdom. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, then you'll have me. Indeed, the kingdom is so valuable, the scriptures say, that it should, it should result in 100% obedience to everything that's commanded in it. As a matter of fact, it demands sacrifice of everything. That's what, that's what the, king, the kingdom is that valuable, it demands that we sacrifice everything. At least to my next point here, that's what both men in the parables do, right? Both men of the parables, upon finding the great treasures, immediately enjoy, sell all that they have to get it. Indeed, in that day, that would have been like them giving up their lives to have this treasure of the pearl and this, this treasure in the field. And indeed, again, this fits with what Jesus says about his kingdom and the rest of the Gospels. Remember, it's him that tells us that we need to pick up our cross, right? You pick up your cross to obtain the kingdom. One must die to themselves joyfully. Again, that's what this says here in the text. They're joyfully sacrificing everything. Joyfully. Because they see the kingdom is of such incredible worth and value that it's not even a question for them. And, and apparently it is possible. I read about this guy. I mean, you know, it's amazing what you find out there. I read about this Australian dude who got so, so tired of money. Yes, it's true. He's like, I got tired of it. it was, I, and I just didn't want it anymore. And so he sold everything he owned. And he gave away his $3 million fortune to charity. And he's, he's, he got rid of everything. And this is what he said. His reason. It was too heavy. It was too heavy. And I just wanted to be free. He just wanted to be free. So he's, I mean, he sacrificed everything for his treasure. Now, you might think to yourself, dear sir, I'd be more than happy to take that burdensome weight off of your shoulders. Uh, you don't have to give me all of it, but I'm glad to take some of it. But, but for him, that was the freedom that he treasured most, was, was not having all of the responsibility of money. Now again, to answer our question, what do you treasure the most? You can ask yourself even further, what am I willing to suffer for? What am I willing to sacrifice for? What am I willing to pay for? What am I willing to bleed for in life? That's my treasure. That's what Jesus says, the kingdom is worth everything. All right then, fair enough, fair enough. I suppose we could just leave it there, right? I mean, I could, we could wrap, this could be the message for you tonight. I could say like, Done. You've got the message. Uh, the kingdom is worth striving for, working for, giving up everything for. Uh, and I could say, let's pray. If I really wanted to get you, I could say, you know, some of you haven't been doing. Some of you haven't been up to the kingdom the way you ought to or the way you know you should. And so we need to repent and believe. And then I call you up here to the front. And I pray over you. And I yell at you like Shia LaBeouf in that weird video. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. But there's a big issue I haven't dealt with yet in this text. It's the biggest, most important issue. And so we're not done yet. 
Sorry if I get your hopes up about a short sermon that's not happening. The most important part of this parable, and I hope you staying for this part will be the most significant part of your own life, is we have to determine, number one, the identity of the treasure hunter and merchant. Who do these guys represent? And number two, we need to determine what the kingdom represents in this story. And I haven't given you that yet. All I've told you is that the characters in this story see this kingdom as extraordinarily valuable. But I haven't told you who the characters are. Who is the man? And what is the treasure in our parable? Well, first of all, let's try and identify the, the treasure. Or the treasure hunter, I should say, the merchant. Uh, many scholars and theologians have said historically that these figures are meant to re represent you and me, human beings, flesh and blood. If this is so, then the meaning of the parable is pretty simple. And that is probably what you have been assuming the whole time. That Jesus calls people to value his kingdom so much that they gladly give up everything to have it. This interpretation is not without warrant. Again, I mentioned to you all sorts of verses from the other parts of Scripture that Jesus tells his disciples they should give up everything for the sake of his kingdom. So that's a fair interpretation in and of itself, if one has that. But, here's why I see the problem. Number one, I don't know a single human being that's actually pulled this off. That has actually given up everything for the king. Oh, I know many, like myself, that would say, in our heart of hearts, that we would say our first response, our deepest treasure in this life is God's kingdom. I know it. But when I look at the record of my life, and I can't see nearly what God sees, I'm not even conscious of the stuff that God is conscious of in my life, I'm pretty convinced that I have not given away everything. I have not sacrificed away everything for the kingdom of God. I mean, listen, the, the call of God is to love Him perfectly with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of yourself, and to love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. That's the call. We can't lessen it. We can't say, well, try to do that, and he'll, you know, he'll be like, all right, cool. It's not even, no, it's not the try game. It literally is like, that's the deal. And if that's the standard for what it means to get a hold of this kingdom, that means, according to this interpretation, that nobody, no human being is the merchant, and nobody is the treasure hunter. So, there is another way of interpreting these parables, and that is, and it's not just me, so I'm not giving you a crackpot, you know, my own interpretation thing. This is... Many, many scholars out there will also say this. They will say that the merchant in this story actually represents Jesus. Now, at first glance, this might seem strange, but just stick with me. First of all, in the previous parables of the kingdom in this chapter, 
Jesus is clearly shown to be the one represented by the person doing the work. In all of Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, parable of the, the farmer and the wheat and the weeds, parable of the mustard seed. Jesus is the one who is the man in these stories. So you've got to ask yourself, why would he suddenly not make him the center of this story as well? Secondly, when we look at what the merchant and treasure hunter actually does in the parables to obtain the treasure, this certainly fits the description of what Jesus alone actually does, right? In order to obtain his treasure, his people, Jesus strives, always fulfilling his Father's perfect will. In order to buy his treasure, Jesus sacrifices everything joyfully on the cross. Indeed, Hebrews 12 says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? What was the joy that was set before him? Well, the joy was the treasure. What's his treasure? You. You and I are the treasure. We are the pearl of great price. Jesus has sacrificed everything to have That is what this story is about. The kingdom of God, the ones who will fill the kingdom of God, are so valuable to Jesus Christ that he says, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to have them. And if that means being crucified on a cross, naked and ashamed outside of the city gates, being mocked and spat on, so be it. They are worth it. You are his treasure. But it gets better than that because, you know, in the parable it says that, that in the excitement, the treasure hunter doesn't just buy the plot of land where the treasure's on. What does it say he does? It says he buys the whole field. Well, in Scripture, the field is a metaphor for the world all the time. And so guess what? Guess what we're being told here? That not just you in the church now are what he has bought, but he has actually bought and paid for everyone on the cross. He has bled, he has bled for everyone's sins. He has paid for everyone to be atoned for. So that means that... Your unsaved and unbelieving neighbors bought and paid for. Your unbelieving spouse bought and paid for. The drug addict, the murderer, the thief, and the adulterer bought and paid for. There is no part of this field that Jesus has not atoned for. Indeed, all who accept that this purchase is theirs are taken from the junk pile, are taken from the rest of the field, and made into treasure. That's the beauty of his kingdom is that he takes junk and he makes it into treasure. And anybody is eligible. Anybody, you, me, we're all eligible. We're all in. That's how valuable we are to him. There was a wonderful illustration of this sort of exchange that happens of somebody 
that had seemed to be cursed and seemed to be left for junk um, being, being all of a sudden made into treasure. Uh, I don't know if you know the name Steve Bartman at all. Steve Bartman is from the Chicago area. He is a huge Cubs fan. And you might remember at Wrigley Field in 2003, he happened to be sitting in the front row along the left field line watching his team in a key playoff moment when during game six of that series, a ball came screaming down the left field line right towards Steve Bartman, right on the wall, right where Steve Bartman was sitting. The, the outfielder boys as a little went up to grab it, and before he could catch it in his glove, Steve Barton reached down his hand and caught it himself, which allowed the runner, the hitter, to get on base. And later on in the game, the Cubs ended up losing and they lost the series. And long story short, Steve Bartman completely had his life altered because he reached out and caught that ball. He became the face of the curse of the Chicago Cubs. If you know any of the Chicago Cubs, you know that they hadn't won a World Series in over 100 years. You know that they were always looking for somebody to blame, and his face became the face to blame. So much so that he stopped going out in public. There was death threats against him. His family had to go into hiding. He was seen as public enemy number one because of his actions, which was just reaching and catching the ball. Well, as you might know, uh, the Cubs won the World Series last year for the first time in quite some time. The curse has been broken. And here's something that's really cool that happened this week. Without any fanfare or anything like that, they sent Steve Bartman a World Series ring. They sent him a World Series ring. It was just a, it was a gesture of complete grace because they knew how much hell he had gone through. They knew. So he responded with these words. I do not consider myself worthy of such an honor. <laughs> I am deeply moved and sincerely grateful to receive this World Series ring. I am fully aware of the historical significance and appreciate the symbolism the ring represents on multiple levels. My family and I will cherish it for generations. Most meaningful is the genuine outreach from the Cubs owners, the Ricketts family, on behalf of the Cubs organization and fans, signifying to me that I am welcomed back into the Cubs family and have their support going forward. I am relieved and hopeful that the saga of 2003 surrounding my family and me is finally over. The curse is broken. And that is indeed what Jesus has done for this world. He takes the curse and he gives the ring of grace. And so the only question left, the only question left, I mean, he's paid everything for you. He wants you. He's bled for you. He's paid. He's done everything. So, so can you believe it? I mean, that's the question. Can you believe it? 
sincere question. Can you believe that you are his treasure? Can you accept that? That God treasures you that much? Can you believe that he finds you so worthy, so he loves you so much that bleeding for you is his joy? Can you believe that? Can you say along with Thomas Merton in response to the question, who am I? Simply, I am one loved by Christ. Can, can you say along with Brendan Manning, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. If you can, if you can say that, that then actually, a love like that, it's easy to give your life up for that. And you just might find yourself wanting to love him more and strive for him more and pushing for him more. You might find that because you are so treasured by him that you start treasuring him more. Let us lift up our hearts to the Lord, that that would be our prayer. Father, help us first soak in the reality that you have, <laughs> the word says, for God so loved the world, before the world ever got attacked together, before we did anything right, even while we were still enemies, you died for us. That's what it says. You found us valuable. In spite of ourselves. So help us to be, to anchor our identity in that Father, instead of the hundred other lesser identities that the world wants to throw at us. Help us to anchor ourselves in what you say about us, that we are beloved children a heavenly Father who goes to any lengths to have us. Thank you for that. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name.